Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. We are here to discuss uh, some odds and ends, I guess. Leftovers? Uh, <laughs> Z-sides? What? I don't even know where we are in the um, the publication schedule with all of the B-sides and things that we've been covering, but this stuff that we're about to cover the uh, Marvel superheroes series, I guess, but these feature the X-Men. These were released, I think in 1991. I actually have the dates. They were released in, let's see, let me get them in the right order. May 21st, 1991, August 13th, 1991 and November 12th, 1991, which is why they are the uh, summer, fall and winter specials. So, based on the current uh, release of the Uncanny X-Men, are we behind or on target? I think we're on target. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say we're on target because we're in the 90s. Are we in 92 or 91? I don't know. It doesn't matter because this story takes place uh, really in the 80s. Exactly. Back when the X-Men were living in Australia. Late 80s. They were off the grid based on um, a story that's from the 60s no the 70s probably the 60s and the 70s yeah sort well, of. well right and actually the 60s 70s and early 80s if we want to get uh specific but it technical technically speaking so this is a this is an interesting three-parter um i believe that i bought this book uh when it was released uh it was only two twenty five. Why wouldn't you? Well, I mean, you know, it's a summer <laughs> special, and uh, it's—I guess it's not even there's not even an issue number here, but uh, I guess I guess according to the internet, it is, it is issue six of Marvel Superheroes. But yeah, it's basically summer nineteen ninety one is all they say. Right. So the series is actually Marvel Superheroes Volume Two, Number Six, um, yeah. from that little byline uh, on the first uh, page. So I got really confused because when we were setting this whole thing up, uh, I was like, I don't see any Marvel Superheroes Summer Special X Men. <laughs> so I had to go through all of the issues to figure out uh, which ones we were dealing with. But uh, this is a story that uh, is is fun. Uh, it's out of place. Um, how do, uh, thematically from kind of what's currently happening in 1991 with, you know, your sort of, uh, more gritty Jim Lee, uh, post Reavers, post Inferno, post Nanny stuff. Um, but that makes sense, uh, given some of the, the creative staff. And we'll talk about that here uh, in a moment. Um, the first two chapters are, are pretty good. And then the third chapter, I don't know, I wanted to sort of talk about, I guess when we, get to the end of this uh feels like uh something happened (laughs) (laughs) uh i mean the the creative staff's different um so i don't know if they just like were forced to finish the story uh or let's have a third part to this exactly so we'll we'll talk about that as we we get there um but yeah so uh, marvel superhero summer special fall special and winter special that's what we're covering yeah no spring special I'm sure there was one. It just didn't involve X-Men, so yeah. we're not covering it. Yeah. Um, so I'm assuming there were four of these a year. They are 80-page blockbusters, it declares on the cover. Uh, many of those pages are dedicated to the X-Men story, more than a typical comic book length. Each 
issue has 22 pages devoted to uh, more than that. Are you sure? Yeah, it was like I'm looking. I'm looking right now, Adam, because I was like, right. it's like I can't read all this, and I was like, oh, they're all 22 pages each. 23 pages. Was it? I thought. Yeah. I thought I was in the. Th- I thought it was 33 pages. No. So if you look at uh, the end of part one, the very bottom, the page count is 22. And according to my comic reading app, I'm on page 23. But that, of course, would count the cover. So it's about a third of the the 80 pages. Now with ads, of course, I'm sure it would have been up to 33 some pages. Okay. All right. You're right. For some reason, I thought it was more than that. I thought I did a count a couple weeks ago, but dang, now I just feel like a fool. <laughs> now you're you're just wrong, Adam. You're just wrong. I guess so. I really am. I really am just wrong. So let's. Uh, we're just going to start kind of covering this, I think, and then once we get to the meat, then we can talk about like what this all ties into. Because uh, if you were an X Men fan and you opened this first page up, you'd be like, "I'm not buying this." Probably uh, because it's a full page, not very well. Well, how do I put this? Like it's a classically drawn uh, abomination holding up a car. And if you're my opinion anyways, is if you're in the current realm of of your Lee's McFarlane's uh, and Liefeld's, you open this and you're like, nope. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I get what you're saying. uh, And I agree to extent. It definitely is not art from the 90s. Um, but it's not, that wasn't, that wasn't the only art that was out there. I mean, yeah, this is pretty it. decent for regular kind of comics. I mean, you got your nineties comics, which were all the cutting edge stuff. And then you got your normal comics, which were kind of like older stuff. Um, I don't know. I would have, I thought you were going to say you wouldn't buy this because the X-Men don't appear for the first like five pages. That, that would also kind of throw me off. Cause if, if, uh, and, and I guess I'm probably a hypocrite cause I, I did just say that I, I, bought this <laughs> uh but at the time i was probably just buying anything that had an x-men uh logo on it um but y- the art is and i don't want to say it's bad because it's not bad it, it it really definitely harkens back to uh like a 70s style of art uh which makes some sense because it it dovetails off of a 70s based story so it's it's just a weird uh combination of things that i, I just don't think that it would have been, um, how do I put this, like well-received or? Well, I think they were targeting people like you who bought everything X-Men. Probably. So the police, for some reason, have got Abomination uh, pinned down uh, and, you know, some some fighting between Abomination and the police happen. uh, But then a Sentinel shows up. Did he just break out of prison or something? I don't know. They give him a backstory. Yeah, he's in Philadelphia. Yep. And uh, note, the story takes place when the X-Men were believed dead and we're living in Australia. Correct. It is. There's no Madeline Pryor in the story. uh, So it it has to be, I think, after Inferno, but prior to, um, well, what would you call the storyline when they all go through the Siege Perilous? I guess the Siege Perilous storyline. So prior to Nanny. Yes. Well, Nanny was a part of Inferno, but I guess pr- prior to Nanny doing a whole bunch of stuff. Prior to Nanny shooting down Storm. Yeah, prior to Storm becoming a child. Let's just say it was the day before that. Okay. Because <laughs> I think that would work um, continuity-wise. There's no... Oh, but there is a line. Isn't there a line of like, uh, we need to wait for Dazzler and Longshot? Not that either of those characters appear in this book, 
but that feels like when did when did Longshot sort of discorporate? I thought that was all before Inferno. I don't know. Yeah, I, I I didn't catch that line. So there's a line in here, and and I don't. I will probably miss it because as I as we said, this is like sixty six some pages when you put it all together. But uh, if I find it, it's you know it's just one of those sort of off uh, off the cuff like, well, Dazzler and Longshot aren't here. But anyways, this, yeah, I guess so. This is probably one of those things where they thought they knew where the continuity was, but because the continuity of the X Men is so convoluted that right. it probably doesn't work exactly. Yeah, there's there's one thing that's in the third story that completely doesn't make sense that I'll point out when we get there. Okay, uh, and that was a little like, whoa, what? <laughs> I've never seen this before, but uh, that'll be interesting when we get there. So a Sentinel shows up. He he identifies himself as Sentinel Number Ten, and he's here to collect abomination. Uh, so he he shoots out some some I don't know sleep dust. It doesn't really put him to sleep or anything, but he's able to capture Abomination uh, and go through a teleporter, and the police are like, wow, that was crazy. Cut to Rogue reading a newspaper about Abomination runs amok in New Orleans, carried away by Sentinel. I would pronounce that as amok, but you do you. I don't know. I don't even know what I said. (laughs) You said runs amok. Wait, didn't I just say it was in Philadelphia? So NO is not New Orleans. In N.O. Yeah, because it does say the city of brotherly love. Cop says something about Philly. I don't know what N.O. is. Yeah, I don't either. Oh, well. Let's just say it's uh, not a Ontario. <laughs> <laughs> well, what would, what would also, this is the Times of Australia, which feels like it's not a real paper, but maybe it is. Oh. Um, there is a, a, a smaller story that you may have missed. But the comic will remind us that it was in the paper later. New solar flares, no danger, says scientist. Oh, clever. Mm-hmm. That'll come back. This is where we get our creative staff. It is Roy and Dan Thomas, who, if you'll remember, Roy at least, wrote a bunch of uh, X-Men issues in the 70s. And he also wrote the Sentinels Avengers story that they mentioned in this one that we covered. What I didn't check, and I'm just going to assume that that he was a part of it was uh, I think it was like X Men forty one and forty two. Was that all? Was that the Neil Adams stuff, oh, or was that the prior to the Neil Adams? I think stuff? that's like where things start getting gritty, and then it transitions to Neil Adams. But I it, it has Alex in it, so it was definitely uh, post. Maybe it was pre Neil Adams, but I thought Neil Adams was where the the Alex stuff started but maybe i'm wrong and getting him confused with the other the other famous artist that i can't remember the name of who used to do the shield stuff oh (laughs) art Art adams no it's like a steve's gross or something i have no idea but he 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 took over the x-men i think around issue 50 maybe a little bit before um and uh that's i'm I'm just gonna look it up i'm gonna find (laughs) i gotta find this uh wasn't 41 and 42. It's one of my favorite stories of that era because uh, it, it kind of takes, and we talked about it for sure. On Jim Steranko. Yeah, Jim Steranko. Uh, he oh, took over go. a little bit, and I feel like maybe he did that. Do one. Oh, jeez. It's like a crapshoot here. I'm way off on the issues. And the other thing is that this this book doesn't uh, tell... Oh, here we go. Okay, X-Men number 57. 
is where the oh okay so the artist the cover artist is neil adams so then probably the interior is also neil adams it says the writer was linda fight okay <laughs> i don't remember that name okay and then x-men number 58 uh which sort of finishes that story arc writer is roy thomas it's also the first appearance of havoc i don't feel like that's right I don't feel like that's right. Either. I think this might be the first appearance of Havoc in his Havoc suit. We definitely met Alex. I can't say that for sure. It's been a long time. But I feel like we met Alex way earlier. So the penciler of this, of X-Men number 58 is Neil Adams. The writer is Roy Thomas. Okay. Uh, Didn't we determine that Chris Claremont came up with the twist of sending the Sentinels into the sun or something like that? I feel like you're right. I feel like there was a, with, like a special credit of um, uh, like a staff editor somewhere. I don't remember. Yeah, but I mean, the, uh, I, 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 here I am. I'm, I'm waxing nostalgic here. But these issues with Neil Adams are just, they're just the layouts are just so dynamic. And it's just different than everything we saw, you know, up to that moment of just like these square and rectangular uh, um, panels. And I want to reread these two issues <laughs> instead of what we're about to read. But anyways, uh, yes, uh, Roy Thomas had a hand in at least one of the two issues uh, that this uh, finishes off. And of course, as you mentioned, the Avengers story from later on. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, I'm, I'm done waxing nostalgic of, of old issues that I want to reread now. Okay. But uh, yeah, Rogue, she cannot believe what she is seeing in this newspaper and She's just chilling with Logan and, and Colossus out there in Australia. This is the chattiest Logan you will ever meet. <laughs> he has always got a witticism. He is always cracking wise. It's 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 terrible, it's, but it's great. <laughs> it's it's yeah. It's you've definitely read worse Wolverines. Um, so this one's I don't know cute. <laughs> this is kind of like. If the Fun. 70s Wolverine had gone in a slightly different direction, this is kind of what could have happened. Yeah, he, parallel universe Wolverine. He makes some sexual innuendos later on. Been, well, you know. <laughs> I mean, they're not like gross and overt, but it's like sort of of the time. And you're like, eh. It's, it's, <laughs> I feel like the 90s were the height of sexual innuendos in comics. Yeah. Even though the 60s up to the 90s were also the height of sexual innuendo in comics. Yeah. So they're like, uh, I mean, yeah, there's a ton of dialogue here, but basically um, Rogue wants to check out what is going on with Abomination. We we know that he was gamma-infused. There's a sentinel involved, which just doesn't make sense because sentinels don't go after altered humans. They only go after mutants. Uh, And it just so happens that another gamma person uh, is going to be doing a presentation at a uh, university in Australia. So they're going to go check him out. There's an interesting bit of dialogue where Rogue says she recognizes the abomination because she did her homework on bad guys like him. And then Wolverine cuts in and says, back when you were a member of the club, right? I don't know what that meant. Back when she was a bad guy. Oh. Wolverine's still bringing that up for some reason. uh, Yeah, I I assumed it had to have meant like back when you were a member of Mystique's Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. But I was like... I guess, do do villains just have files on each other? I guess so. I don't know. <laughs> I was looking at the evil evil super-powered people's files. 
But I the knew... way the heroes have files on each other, all villains also do. Sure, of course. You got to keep organized. Yeah, yeah. No, I got you. So they they go and convene with Storm Psylocke. Psylocke is in her sort of armored form. Yep. Uh, so so that also places her. Well, that places her in time, of course. Distinctly before Jim Lee. Yeah, although Jim Lee did draw her in that outfit for a while. That's true. A few issues. Um, yeah, so they're all confused. Uh, Wolverine doesn't want anything to do with this plan. He says, count me out. <laughs> Which is very odd. <laughs> Gamma Angle's a dead end. You got a better idea, short stuff? Yeah. Good night's sleep. I see. Somebody <laughs> says, don't be hard on Logan. Um, Havoc's like, I got to do some computer checking. So that means that uh, Madeline's not here because Madeline was the computer person. That's right. I, Alex did briefly take over as the computer person after Madeline left. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is yeah, this checks out. Madeline left or Madeline died? Sure. <laughs> so it uh, just basically is going to be Colossus and Rogue going to this conference to, to talk, to ask some questions about Gamma. I guess, to do some investigating on why would a Sentinel be after a Gamma person? There's a lot of stuff about how the the world thinks the X-Men are dead, so they have to be very careful about where they go and who sees them. Correct. Yep. And that comes back a lot. Yeah. And there's some inconsistencies, but we'll we'll talk about those. Uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> it, and they don't really matter in the, in the vast scheme of things. But they make it to the convention hall. They take their seats. And it's Doc Sampson who's who's giving this presentation. Readers of Hulk will know this person. <laughs> yes. He's gamma-infused. Uh, he's a psychologist who, I guess, got some of Bruce Banner's gamma, and now he's strong and has green hair. Yeah, I don't know what his origin is. I just know that he hangs out at Hulk a lot, and yeah, he's got green hair. Usually he wears tights. He's part of the superhero set but here he's just wearing a uh, suit with a lab coat right so he's he's part of the scientist group here he so he's getting a lot of questions from the uh, well he gets at least one question from the audience about the hulk and and gamma stuff and he answers the question but he's like well what i'm really here is to do my uh lecture on jung jung versus freud is there really a collective unconscious or is it all just sex and Rogue's like, I got a question about the Abomination. <laughs> so just ignoring, like, nobody wants to talk about your stupid book. I want to talk about the Abomination. Yeah. He's like, well, I, I wanted to talk to you about my book, but I guess I'll answer your question. So he kind of goes on and on and on about gamma rays and, and things like that. When a Sentinel shows up and Doc Sampson does not see it materialize behind him, lean over uh, and ultimately pick him up. <laughs> Even though Rogue's like, uh, Doc... There's something behind you, and he's like, "Lady, I'm trying to answer your question." <laughs> oh my Not god! Now, so he gets picked up. He punches the Sentinel in the nose, but it's just not good enough. The Sentinel uh, applies enough pressure to Doc Sampson for him to fall unconscious, and that's when Rogan uh, Colossus Colossus is wearing a mask for some reason. I guess he's in his state where it's difficult for him to change from steel to human. Okay, so that would explain why he's wearing a rubber mask. I didn't catch that until just now. Because <laughs> I'm like, why wouldn't he just turn into Peter Rasputin? But I guess he can't. Uh, so he rips off his mask. And I feel like, you know, we've talked about this before. You can't just put a rubber mask over anything and have it look realistic. 
You know, it's okay though. He's just a guy wearing a mask, and everybody knows it. And sure. they're all like, "Oh, that's weird." They're like, "But you know, this is Australia. You do you, buddy." <laughs> that guy must have a horribly disfigured face, right? That's why he's wearing a mask. They spring into action, and they're like, "We don't care about our our uh, identities being revealed. Let's go." And this is where things get a little inconsistent because the Sentinel is like, "Oh, I can identify you." They don't know their names. They don't know, I guess, specifically what their power sets are. Tentative identification, standard mutant, no previous data undertaking, initial analysis. So it's it's sort of accurate that the Sentinel... Well, you can look at it two different ways. The Sentinel would have never met Rogue or Colossus. Metallic-skinned humanoid hurtling towards Sentinel number five. Based on what, we've, uh, what we find out later. But... We also, based on where they are in the timeline, are supposed to be invisible to all forms of sensors and uh, video recording equipment. So in theory, as established in the Master Mold story that Rogue's involved in, Master Mold was unable to detect any presence of mutants. These are Mark II Sentinels, though. Oh, uh, believe me. They're just advanced. We're going to hear a lot about Mark II Sentinels (laughs) in these stories. So and it's a good this Sentinel points out a number of times that he is Sentinel number five, which is important. Sort of. It's important. It's important. But as I'm reading this, I'm like, whatever. I don't care. Yeah, I didn't notice. I I, I flipped back because they were kept referring to him as number five. And I was like, how do they know he was number five? And because uh, they, they, I think they refer to the number five on his chest or something. But they he do, clearly but- does not have one in these panels. But he does announce at least twice that he is sentinel number five right right like sentinel number 10 previously that picked up the abomination had like b2 written on his chest yeah i don't know what that was about all of these numbers are going to become consistent later uh, i don't know if roy thomas is like oh man if i if i show the numbers in the chest it's just going to spoil everything so let's obfuscate <laughs> that until until we reveal uh you know where this story is from and it doesn't matter <laughs> uh, rogue absorbs some of doc samson's powers to to just get even more stronger and she punches the uh sentinel in the face which which seems to sort of stumble at least allow uh, doc samson to be released but it doesn't really matter because eventually the sentinel grabs him again on the next page actually mm-hmm. uh after shooting fire at rogue colossus jumps in the way yet and the sentinel jumps through a, a portal i don't a magical portal think that fire would hurt rogue well they don't know um well colossus jumps in the way and is like i'll protect yeah. you and uh, i feel like in previous issues of the x-men she's flown through fire and we keep hearing about her near and vulnerable hide so so the sentinel before he shoots fire at her says uh, commencing discharge of highly concentrated flames at temperature deemed sufficient enough to inf- incinerate even female mutants, apparently heat-resistant flesh. Okay. So it did some number. It, it crunched the numbers, and it determined that this fire is hot enough. Whether or not it was, we don't know, because, like we said, Colossus jumps in the way. We also get a name for the teleportation. It's called an ultra-linear leap. Which we, this was established in the Avengers issues that they could jump through these little portals. Yep. And uh, I know that because I went back and I skimmed through them. 
Right. They were fun. I do not know if the Sentinel was correct in believing this Fireburst could actually kill you, Rogue, but listen, Petey, you want to stand in my way? I won't stand in yours. So, so sure. Whatever. <laughs> uh, the Sentinel picks up Doc Samson, opens up the portal, does the ultra-linear leap, leaving Storm and Rogue behind as they crash into the wall. Colossus and Rogue, even. Yeah, whoever. <laughs> So they uh, they head back. Yeah, like where it's Storm and Rogue, Storm would have at least bounced off the wall. Sure. Whereas Colossus goes straight through the wall. Meanwhile, in the computer sentinel, uh, or sentinel, the computer center, uh, Havoc is not running the computers. It looks like Storm is. Havoc stood up. He needed a break. <laughs> Storm took his chair because she's like, I need to sit down. <laughs> so they're doing some research. Um I guess Storm and Alex are working together, so they're both the computer experts in this issue. Sure. What if we if what we suspect turns out to be true, the X Men may have no choice but to come back from the dead. As serious as that? Yeah, yeah it's very serious. This is totally serious. Rogue and Colossus reappear, and their clothes are all disheveled. Yeah, and they say, uh, "Yeah, they they found the the Sentinel. The Sentinel." took doc samson and it had no interest in us for whatever reason mm-hmm. uh, it's after duh, it was after bigger game <laughs> this particular android could have cared less if we'd had mutie scrawled in scarlet letters on our foreheads so this is where the big reveal is like well look at this sentinel now if you put a number five on its chest it's a dead ringer for the one that we saw okay and it's <laughs> like and that's when I want to believe that Havoc's like, oh my god, I know these Sentinels. It's not quite as dramatic as that, but Havoc does uh, basically retell the stories from uh, X-Men 14 and 14 through 16, which is the invention of Master Mold and the original batch of Sentinels. Talks about how uh, uh, Bolivar Trask was killed and then Larry Trask came along later in the X-Men 52 and 53 which is not actually referenced in this issue, which is kind of frustrating, and talks all about uh, Judge Chalmers and Larry Trask and the Mark II Sentinels, that whole storyline. And Havoc even says uh, they were responsible for giving me this very suit. Yeah. Which I guess Roy Thomas would know because he was the one that created that. Uh, and then, yeah, they, and then they fast forward. Uh, Cyclops convinced them to fly into the sun X-Men 57 to 59. Yep. They thought that the X-Men had flown into the sun or not the X-Men, but the Sentinels had flown into the sun. But it turns out, as we learned in the Avengers issues, that they'd flown around the sun for a while, decided that there was no hope there. So they created this anthill, which happens to be in Australia. And uh, Sentinel number two was determined to be a mutant. So the rest of the Sentinels uh, melted him into so much slag and then the the woman there, oh, uh, uh, Scarlet Witch, was to be the battery to help the Sentinels sterilize the entire world so that no more mutants could be produced, uh, and then all of the Sentinels were deactivated. Yep. They, deacti- they, act- they deactivated themselves. And oh. one of them fell on Larry Trask. Right. So they're like, well, I guess we should probably head out to the anthill and see what's going on there. Weirdly, in the uh, Avengers story, Larry Trask was had been, I guess, uh, Chalmers had 
was taking care of Larry Trask and sure Larry Trask remembered none of this stuff. Well, and Larry Trask over. Didn't, he had a medallion that like hid yeah. his mutant a, ability exactly. that came yeah yeah. And then Quicksilver took the uh, the medallion off of him and then he started remembering everything and then he wanted to atone for his sins and then he got crushed. It's a good story. All of that that yeah. whole arc, that whole Roy Thomas Sentinel arc is is pretty good. So it's on this page, page number 16, where, you know, they're going to go uh, to the anthill, but Storm's like, I got to stay behind because one of, us, one of us must stay in case Longshot and Dazzler return. I suppose then it must be myself. Okay, so maybe they're thinking that, uh, I don't know if it makes sense or not. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Well, you know, they saw Longshot disappear, but that doesn't mean he's not going to return. I, su- I suppose one could... Uh, uh, theorize Honestly, I don't remember how it went down. So. The Dazzler's like on a quest that we just never heard about to try to go find Longshot. It was prior to the. It was prior to um, Extinction Agenda, uh, which means it was prior to Inferno, where Longshot is just like I gotta go. Maybe he's picking up pieces of himself. Later in this very story, they're all gonna leave. So at some point between now and then. They all just gave up. Well, Dazzler and Longshot aren't coming back. <laughs> yeah. So we can all leave. So this is this is a bit of an inconsistency, but, you know, eh, it's, it's a nitpick, too. It doesn't really matter. I, I think it's just another one of those things to nail this in time, although it may it may actually screw things up. I don't know. It. Somebody wrote in and got a no prize for pointing this out. That's all <laughs> I'm saying. So Storm sort of laments that she wants to go, but she can't go. Uh, and then she realizes that there was an article in that same newspaper that Rogue, Rogue was reading about solar flares, which is something I skipped over in that whole plan uh, on the anthill. They were going to use solar flares uh, as and, and Scarlet Witch somehow as a, as a whole battery and power source uh, to sterilize the world. So she's like, oh, my God, now there's more st- the sentinels are back looking for gamma radiation and there's solar flares. Something's not adding up. Forget Longshot and Dazzler. I need to go check this out, she says. Right. So the rest of the X-Men make it to the anthill, and they're like, hey, somebody's already been here excavating. That's weird. And all the Sentinels are at the bottom, and they're all knocked out still. We find uh, Larry Trask's uh, remains. He's been completely decomposed to just a skeleton. But there's also, I think, a lot of other dead bodies from workers who were in here excavating uh, the anthill for some reason. Holy Joe, a skeleton, says Rogue. <laughs> One of the diggers, perhaps. That was a really bad Colossus there. <laughs> More likely all the remains of Larry Trash, I'd say. Is that your havoc? Yeah, I don't know why I'm doing it, but it's fun. Perfect. The Avengers must have thought it fitting that his crushed body be left here for some... Wow, the Avengers are jerks. <laughs> I was going to say. I mean, they. I don't remember that issue, but I'm just imagining that things were collapsing and the Avengers just had to get out of there before the whole thing collapsed. So there was no time to retrieve Larry Trask's body, but I am speculating because I don't exactly remember the, the finale of that issue. Yeah. I'm, I, I think they left it. Like we, we do learn that this site has been excavated well after the events of the Avengers. So I'm yeah, the Avengers just left. It's just kind of presumptuous on yeah. maybe, maybe Alex hates the Avengers. He might, he might. <laughs> So there's a lady here. Her name is Cynthia Chalmers. She is tied up to a uh, part piece of the wall, I guess, a partition of the wall. 
with a bunch of wires. And uh, she's been there for two days, uh, and she really wants some water. Yes. Very thirsty. Storm, meanwhile, heads off to uh, North Wales, New South Wales, okay. uh, to a, uh, a astronomy lab because I don't know why she made the determination she was going to get there. The Australian astronomers who were interviewed all ah. work at a single solar observatory using one of the largest and most unique instruments on Earth, the radio heliograph. <gasps> so she flies there. She does a lot of thinking to herself. She sneaks around. She gets into the building and uh, she gets into the main laboratory. There are no scientists, no doctors around. But when she opens this door, she sees Doc Samson in abomination in some watery tubes. Then I have found it, the secret lair of the Sentinels. Yeah. And so she's going to get ready to revive Doc Sampson to figure out what's happening when a Sentinel enters uh, and then blows her away with some wind. And they fight, more Sentinels show up, and they basically, as you remember from, well, maybe don't remember, these particular Sentinels can quickly adapt to power sets. So you might be able to get the jump on them, but they'll immediately learn what you did uh, and develop a counter for it. Uh, and that's when... Surprise, surprise, the mutant sentinel number two shows up. And we know him because he's partially, his face is partially melted. Right. Number two, the foremost of the sentinels after the destruction of Master Mold. But he was melted. How can this be? The computer said he was wholly melted, but apparently he's just marginally melted. No, I think he was, he was melted into so much slag. We will find out how sentinel number two is here in this form but i feel like this chapter of the story makes it very clear that he was just like a puddle of metal well he was they said he was destroyed when the other sentinels found him Uh, havoc says he was melted into so much slag okay all right i'm (laughs) not sure how the sentinels would do that but they use their their little melty rays from their fingertips his head they must have left his head then because his head is exactly the same as it was in those Avengers issues. Adam, there is there's a line, I think, in the next issue that's going to make everything okay. Okay, good. <laughs> um, and in fact, I think the line is delivered by Wolverine. So anyways, uh, there's some, some more wind fighting, uh, and the, the Sentinels are able to counter uh, all the abilities. And uh, Sentinel number two wants to further study Storm, so he knocks her out. Which is important because we never learn why they don't just kill uh, Storm. So this throwaway line is why they don't kill Storm. Right. I would find your spirit and defense worthy of further study had I not far more important matters to engage my intellect, such as the imminent approach of a solar flare, which will signal the immediate end to human reproduction upon this planet. Next, sterility are us. So... Roy Thomas is not done with this whole sterility thing. He's going to no. do it. He's, he's working it out. So that takes us to Marvel Superheroes Fall Special, in which the creative staff... Well, the writers are the same. I, I don't know if the pencilist is the same. I don't think the art's the same. But that's okay. It's a little more crisp. A little more. It's a little, a little more 90s, a little less 80s. Not, not in the vein of, a, say, a Jim Lee or a Todd McFarlane... But it's definitely more uh, consistent. Yeah, somebody's bringing this up to modern times. Trying yeah. to, anyways. 
So we're back at the the uh, Ant Hill, and uh, they we're talking to uh, Cynthia Chalmers, and they're like, um, well, she first of all recognizes the X Men. She's like, "You're supposed to be dead." Yeah. Well, there's a good reason that she knows who the X Men are. Yeah. She's like, "Untie me! I want some water." I've been tied up here for two days. There's a weird minute where Rogue is like, we didn't bring any water. And then Colossus is like, don't worry, I'll break a pipe. And then the pipe has water in it. And it was, I don't know. It's kind of gross. I don't know if I would want to drink pipe water. Yeah, if you're that thirsty. I guess. You never know if that's, is that, is that uh, like a water supply, which would be fine? Or is that like sewage, which would not be fine? It felt like a moment where they were avoiding no prizes because it would just be much more simpler to be like, the X-Men brought some water with them. Right. And then they were like, oh, well, we can't do that because then people are going to write in letters. So let's have Colossus break a pipe. Well, okay. this, this this whole water thing takes like two pages and to me just feels like... <laughs> in fact, this whole portion of the story it sort of feels like we're just killing time to get to the third part. Maybe. So anyways... We uh, do get the Cynthia Chalmers backstory. Yeah. She's been tracking the uh, Sentinels pretty much most of her life. She's a archaeologist. She's trying to go on digs in order to dig up the anthill, but her archaeologist buddies won't let her. So she goes through nefarious means by getting some uh, dubious contractors to help her out who ultimately betray her. Mm-hmm. Tie, and that's how she ends up tying tied to the partition because they're like, well, now that we've uncovered the Sentinels, we're going to sell the uh, parts for scrap metal. And then a guy kicks one of the Sentinels and the Sentinel wakes up and says that that kick was the thing that completed his uh, his cycle of re-coming re, re back. Reactivation? Reactivation. Yeah, I mean, so this is a little, I don't know. It, 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 it's fine, but it feels like there could have been a better way to, 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 to do this wake-up thing. Um, because in, in the conclusion of the Avengers story, they essentially deactivate themselves. So why would they be reactivated? To me, it would make a little bit more sense if Cynthia Chalmers and these nefarious contractors like hooked them up to a bunch of, like consciously tried to reactivate them, but they, they just needed to be kicked. Still kick. Well, it's weird because it seems like the way that they word it, it's the like kick a kick isn't the even. Thumb. The kick isn't even necessary. It's just it just happens to have jumped started the process. They were going to wake up anyway. Yeah, but because of the kick, they woke up now. And then he kills all the workers. Yeah, which explains from the last issue why they found all the workers. So rise, my sentinels. He wakes up number ten. I think number six. He's number three, and because number two's not around, well, actually, that's later. Conjecture. Perhaps we took our programming instructions uh, a degree too literally. <laughs> that seems a little convenient. Uh, query: Can number two be reassembled from the slag heap into which our rays transformed him? If so much as a single component was unharmed, we can. Uh, and then cut to, I guess, later, hail, hail number, number two, two B. B. Yep, number two will suffice, my sentinels. So, it's, yeah, so on this very same page, what they're saying, what Wolverine says is they basically cloned number two from uh, one functioning component. Yeah. So his head wasn't there, like he was melt. So it says that he was melted down to so much slag, but this is letting us know that there was componentry left over. So 
somewhat inconsistent. But they basically cloned him. Which is strange that you can clone machines to look exactly like they were. You would, I would think that his melted face would have been improved, but I don't know. You got a design of a sentinel with a melted face. You keep that because it's cool. Yeah, exactly. Like cloning man or woman from a single cell rogue. I like how they're talking about this. Like it's shocking. And then nowadays we have resurrection protocols. <laughs> well, they've come a long way. Times have changed. Alex points out that the Mark IIs are the most powerful Sentinel uh, of the several kinds of Sentinels created. And now that they're mm. back in business, this is terrible. It's horrible. It's the worst thing that ever happened. Uh, where is Chalmers during all this? Oh, she, I guess she's there. She's just hanging out. She's just drinking from that pipe. This is really Thursday. <laughs> Those Sentinel blueprints are mine. Give them to me. And they're like, nope. Uh, why do you want them? Yeah, this whole Cynthia Chalmers arc uh, is very. Conv- I don't know what she wants to do. And it, well, we we find out in the next issue what she wants to do. But I feel like that was contrived, though. Out it, of, it, yeah, it doesn't yeah. feel very much connected to this, right? So they're keeping the blueprints away from Cynthia because Cynthia is still kind of a mutant hater, even though she's helping the X Men. Yeah, she's not their prisoner. She's not like, I'll never work with you, X-Men. She's just like, all right, I guess I'll go where you go. They read her, you know, Psylocke read her mind. Yeah. So they know that she's a mutinator. So they know that uh, the plan is for the Sentinels to basically uh, sterilize the planet. No more babies. And uh, they got to stop that. Indeed they do. And we cut back to Storm in the Solar Observatory. And now she is in a tube next to Doc Sampson and the Abomination. It seems like it's a watery tube, but maybe there's just, like, gas bubbles around her, because she's... Yeah, it's like a bantha tank. A, a bantha tank? Or, or a, a bantha tank? A bacta tank. Yeah. <laughs> Where you got, you're inside the water, but it's... Yeah, know. but even in the bacta tanks, they had a little mouth thing so they could breathe. She's just underwater. This is an advanced bacta tank. <laughs> sure. I guess it's it's like the uh, the fluid that they were breathing in the abyss. You never saw the abyss, though, did you? I saw the abyss. Okay. I never saw the director's cut of the abyss. Gotcha. Both cuts had uh, Ed Harris breathing water. Okay. Special concoction of breathable water. Maybe that's from that. You know, I read. Uh, I don't know how true this is. Do you remember? There's a scene where they put a rat in in the water. Like, look, it works. And the rat just kind of like panics for a minute, and then it just starts breathing on its own. I thought I read somewhere that they accidentally killed like two rats before they got that scene correct. I was oh, like, geez, that's, that's awful. Terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. I mean, this isn't a day before CGI, so... Yeah. Anyways. I mean, you know, there's there's so much animal abuse in films, so it's not surprising. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, the Sentinels here are pointing out that the solar flare's beginning, and uh, they're about to execute on their plan. There's a particular solar flare which is just the right amount that there is, is happening uh, very soon that they're going to take advantage of. Uh, so Storm's got to act. There's a fourth tube here. Was that sp- 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 for somebody? There's even a fifth tube. Is there a fifth tube? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. So they just have like a bunch of tubes. and Yeah. These tubes go back to the Avengers. This, these are the same tubes that Scarlet Witch was held in. Okay. I don't remember them having water in them, but maybe. <laughs> Storm is like, well, she's, she's heard all this plan. Uh, so she's got to. You know what's weird is that... Um, 
I'm probably just overthinking this. Why would the Sentinels be speaking to one another in English? Why wouldn't they just be like speaking to each other in a series of like like digital sounds? Because if they were, we wouldn't know what was going on. <laughs> I, I know that, Adam, but it just seems more efficient for them just to be like pushing buttons yeah. rather than like talking. No, you're right. <laughs> well, just imagine that's what they're doing, but the comic is translating it for us. Okay, and Storm just knows how to how to uh, interpret binary digital sounds. Yeah, she's she's smart. She's a smart cookie who can figure things out pretty quickly. Oh, he's pointing there at that double helix. Oh, I'm on to that. <laughs> oh, solar flare image. Oh, oh I'm on to you, Sentinels. I got to get free and let the world know. I don't think there's any water in the tubes. I think the tubes are just dirty. Okay. Because uh, she doesn't talk in the tubes, she just thinks in the tubes. But when she breaks out of the tube, there's no like water or anything. Is that's? Yeah, I guess you're right. But, I don't know. Anyways, that that doesn't happen for a little bit. But a bunch of astronomers show up, and one of them's like, "I won't help you," and then he gets killed. And it's pretty the, gruesome. Like the sentinel yeah. whaps him against the wall. His head hits the wall, and it like slides down and leaves like a bloody trail. Well, it doesn't hit the wall. It hits. Uh, oh, the storm's tube. tube, which is an important detail, and his face is just like right at storm as, as there's like a bloody trail behind his head. I was like, that's pretty yeah. graphic for uh, a Marvel comic in the early '90s. It is gruesome, yeah, especially in one of these collection things. This isn't Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man, after all, <laughs> where we can talk about children being killed. They put the rest of the astronomers in a little cage. Well, Storm also points out, like, oh, these these people don't even care about humans. They're supposed no. to protect them, but they, they don't care. Something's wrong. Yeah, they're supposed to. Well, they do. They're supposed to care about humans, but I guess to a degree they don't, because they do a test on the rest of the astronomers that basically kills all of them or most of them. Um, and it is determined that the levels of radiation that cause sterilization are a certain number, and a few of them died before this number, and a few of them didn't die before this number. Therefore, they have determined the level of sterilization that they can put on the human, uh, human, humankind with a minimal amount of murder. Right. So these are <laughs> which, just... which I feel like is like you just tested three people. <laughs> That's that's not very scientifically accurate. You need well, to test more people. They're computers. They can draw conclusions very fast. And they're, they're in a hurry. A, a, yeah. They're under a, a crunch. The solar flare is only going to happen once. You murderers, shouts Storm, which con- uh, concludes my theory that she's not in water. Yeah, then it would be, that's true. <laughs> yeah. You treat humans as if they're no more than guinea pigs. Analogy. You speak as a guinea pig. Uh, would speak to human scientists if it could speak instead of merely squeal. That's deep, Sentinel number two. It sure is. I mean, Sentinel number two is a thinker and a philosopher. Yeah, so I think these guys are all dead now. Yeah. Um, Doc Sampson and uh, Abomination have been moved to the same little power transformer that I think uh, Scarlet Witch was connected to. Probably. So they're going to act as a gamma battery. Yep. Uh, Storm discovers that the body that was thrown against her tube left a little bit of a crack. Uh-huh. And you can see the crack and you can see the blood smear. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's able to use the winds to manipulate the crack and bust free of the uh, tube that was holding her. Now she's able to distract them. And, and uh, number two doesn't care. Clearly I am otherwise occupied. 
conclusion, it is your duty to recapture or destroy her. And I was like, man, they should have just killed her. Doc Samson wakes up and, and sees that Storm is about to get squished by a giant sentinel foot. Uh, he has enough strength to free himself and, uh, I guess, push the sentinel off balance. She ca- she casts some reins to fall specifically on his head. Uh, oh, to wake she, him up, sure. She will repeat this again later with abomination. And uh, so they're going to, I don't know, they're going to escape or something. Doc Samson's like, hold it, aren't you all, aren't you X-Men supposed to be dead? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It doesn't matter right now. Yeah, we got to get out of here. Merely a rumor, clearly unfounded, she says. Though it may become a... a a beauty. Wait, what is that? A reality. This one's hard hard to read. Yeah, this one's a little, a little smudgy. A little smudgy. Storm casts more rain to wake up Abomination. He wakes up. He escapes from the the bonds, and uh, he starts taking on the Sentinels as well. And the plan here is just to act really quickly, to, and so that the Sentinels cannot react and uh, counter any of their attacks. So Abomination opens up a big hole in the floor and drags Sentinel number two down in, uh, down into the hole. And then Sentinel number two says, you're going down with me. I shall not go alone, Gamma Human. No, let me go. You're dragging me down. And then and somehow the thing closes, which maybe that's part of Abomination's powers. Sure. I don't know. <laughs> oh, able to open up cracks in the floor that eventually close. So number three steps up and he says, well, I guess I'm in charge. Uh, well, we no longer need this gamma human looking at Doc Sampson. And he's about to, I guess, kill uh, Doc Sampson when the rest of the X-Men come bursting in. Yeah. I don't know how they figured out where this. They say. Was. Oh, did they? They say that when they got back to Australia, they noticed that uh, Storm had circled the article. Storm left they- a note. They figured it out. Back home, we saw you'd circled a piece in the paper on solar flares that mentioned this place. Hey, we don't need a house to fall on us. And then he gets kicked by a giant sentinel and says, not the best choice of words I ever made. This is all Wolverine, by the way, doing his fun, wacky dialogue. Yeah. Wacky dialogue, Wolverine. So they're Storm, Colossus, Rogue, Doc Samson. They're doing everything that they can to keep him off balance, to keep him from countering uh, the various attacks. And that's when we're reminded that uh, Cynthia Chalmers is here. Cynthia Chalmers asks Psylocke why she's not doing anything. <laughs> and Psylocke says, well, my powers are kind of a mental thing, but my 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 part will come later. Yeah. I still may be able to help at the proper time. And her part comes later as Alec bursts into the, Alex bursts into the room and says, hey, Sentinels, check me out. And they're like, uh-oh, we better stop him because he has powers that could stop us, but he is currently not powered up enough to attack us. And that's when Betsy releases the uh, lock that she has on Alex or something. She cries out, Havoc, now! And that's when Havoc releases all of this power. He's like, wow, it worked! And then they're like, what worked? And he's like, well, I used my telepathic powers to make him forget that he was charged up. And then the Sentinels read his mind? Psylocke telepathically repressed the level, and luckily the Sentinels didn't dig deep enough to see our little ruse. It's a little... uh, I don't know. Whatever, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) They needed a plan, uh, they needed teamwork, and they got it. So, 
Congratulations, X-Men. Congratulations, Roy Thomas. And they leave through a portal. Cynthia Chalmers stays behind because she really doesn't want to hang out with the X-Men. And then as after they leave, she's like, I intend to remedy the X-Men being alive and well at the earliest convenience. She also promises she won't tell anybody yeah, so that they're alive. A couple of things, right? So so Havoc basically destroyed the rest of the Sentinels. They're all in oh, pieces yeah. on the floor. Yeah. Doc Samson kind of ties up like, wow, so Abomination is stuck down there. The Gamma Gang is down by one member. Uh, so, so we're really kind of... I guess he comes back. We're sort of wrapping up the story here. The X-Men, as you mentioned, they go through uh, Gateway's portal. Cynthia Chalmers um, says she's going to get revenge, or it's not over with the X-Men, even though she's not going to tell their secret. Abomination does jump uh, through the floor with number two's head, um, and they they sort of team up, like, you and me, Emile, Abomination. I've I've got the blueprints. Well, there's like a weird moment where the abomination is just going to kill her because he doesn't want people to know that he's, I guess, alive or something. So I guess he's also secretly dead. And then she's like, don't kill me. I've already got cancer. And he's like, what? Yeah. It's sort of out of nowhere. (laughs) So I don't know if this was this whole page here is a rewrite or if this was sort of the plan. But um, I guess it is because it does say next X marks the Sentinel. But this could have very well been... um, sort of like a cliffhanger, right? Like uh, Cynthia Chalmers could have said, like, um, I mere, I intend to remedy that at my earliest convenience. Abomination uh, jumps through the floor, and then this issue could have just ended. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it seemed like, well, it seemed like they're wrapping this up very quickly because I feel like the X-Men would have taken Cynthia Chalmers with them. Right. Um, not just kind of left her in the middle of wherever they are. Well, Rogue's like, she's got plenty of canned goods to last her. Yeah, it's just kind of bizarre. Right. Uh, I feel like they also might have tried to scan for Abomination. Like, Psylocke could have been like, I, I, there's still a life form down there. We got to save him. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it just feels like it wrapped up very quickly. And then Cynthia Chalmers and Abomination team up. They're going to bring back the Sentinel number two. And the deal is that Abomination will help her out, and then once she's done eradicating the X-Men, she uh, he she will give over the Sentinels to him, and he can do whatever he wants with them. And he's like, okay, sounds like a good deal to me. Is Abomination a bad guy? Yeah, he's one of Hulk's nemeses. So then we flip to Marvel superheroes winter special X-Men, and we get a very 90s attempt at a cover. It's an Eric Larson cover. Oh, it is. It's not a very good Eric Larson cover. <laughs> but anyways, uh, everything changes here. We get uh, yet another inker and penciler. And now Michael Higgins is going to finish this story. Uh, interestingly enough, he's the writer and letterer. It's a combination oh. you, don't, you don't generally see. That is unusual. Yeah. Huh. And this story, I guess the final chapter feels a little out of place. It kind of rewrites everything because it turns out that I skimmed a lot of this because I was <laughs> like, I feel like we finished the story. But anyways, the art is even more 90s than previously. I feel like each yes. issue has been getting progressively more 90s. Um, Cynthia Chalmers, as it turns out, is not interested in the X-Men at all. It's just something she told the Abomination 
but her real plan is to possess. Which doesn't really make any sense because prior to Abomination jumping out of the crack, she was like, I intend to remedy this situation of the X-Men. <laughs> That's and true. And then Abomination appears from the floor. So you're right. It just feels like Roy Thomas... And that's what I was kind of curious, like, between this and that, did Roy Thomas be like, I'm done with comics, I'm going over to DC? <laughs> Any, like, did he just say, like, I'm, I'm out, and that's why they handed this over to somebody else? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. Maybe he gave Michael Higgins some notes? At any rate, part three ends at pretty much the same place as part two, with the Sentinels defeated. Um, it does, and it actually ends pretty much at, like, the end of the Avengers comic. So yeah, even more so. I mean, yeah, but so, so she, uh, attempts to possess, we, we don't learn this until the end, but she attempts to possess Sentinel number two, but it overrides her attempt at being, she's trying to, so she does have cancer and she's going to try to live forever inside of a Sentinel, or at least as long as she can cure her body. Maybe, I don't know. It's not really clear. Right. But, Sentinel realizes what's going on uh, and goes back to its previous initiative at sterilization. And here's where we get the scene that I said was weird. So the X-Men are fighting in the danger outback. Yes. So apparently they have a danger room. Yeah. It's, it's not the danger room, but it's like it's it's an outdoors. Yeah. It's just in the outback. It's like a big old space. Wolverine says it's way better than the danger room because he can like smell the creatures and they are they're realistic. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> this... Is this like a thing that they were intending to do, or did somebody, or what, did somebody just decide that this was going to be a thing? I think. Uh, the editor said, we need to fill 22 pages. And <laughs> Michael Higgins was like, well, let's do two and a half pages of the danger outback because why not? Why not just have the X-Men fighting these monsters? It fills the same amount. It could be the exact same panels, but no mention of the danger outback. You know, you know, we have to change our yeah. podcast name now. Yeah, the danger. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the danger outback. Yeah. So I think that the, the sort of... Um, it's it's kind of popular now in, in modern comics to have like a couple of pages of a superhero team sort of finishing off a mission that isn't really important to the overall story and maybe has sort of a comical twist. And then they sort of launch into like whatever the story is actually about. Yeah. They didn't do that in the nineties. So to have them sort of do like a two page wrap up of some adventure that we just never seen, uh, hadn't been done yet. <laughs> so I think, I think it's a good idea, Adam, like to have some alien force that they just defeated, um, that has no bearing on continuity uh, or lore, but Michael Higgins was probably like, no, the yeah. world's not ready for that yet. <laughs> but what they are ready for is a danger outback. In that case, just do a baseball game for crying out loud. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that that is the go-to. Like, well, we got to fill pages. Let's have them do a baseball game. And in yeah. the midst of the baseball game, have one of the characters run out and be like, oh, my God, the Sentinels are back. And then they have to wrap up their baseball game. Yep, that'd have been better. <laughs> but I mean, we got options. Why did we go for this one? <laughs> it's just such a strange concept, too, that never never showed up prior to this and will never show up again, this danger outback. No, maybe they should have been. What, what is a popular sport in Australia? Like polo or something? <laughs> I or don't la- know. lacrosse? They should have been doing some Australian-themed sport, uh, and then they eventually just kind of get sick of it because they're like, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> 
And then uh, somebody's got a radio, like Rogue's got her radio because she's in her swimsuit, right? Uh, and she's catching some sun. Uh, maybe Dazzler's there because she's not in this issue for some reason. Still looking for long shot, I guess. And on the news, it says like, a giant robot is flying over Sydney. And the X-Men are like, what? <laughs> and then they go to the computer. So they do go to the computer in the middle of their danger room session. The monsters just disappear because there's an emergency and it turns out that the Sentinel number two is on their way. And then the next page just smashes through their <laughs> base of operations. He's there. Badoom. Kabram. Yeah. yeah. And this doesn't really make sense either because the Sentinel's like, I scanned you, but they're not supposed to be able to scan them because they're in their dead, unscannable forms. Well, you know, again, whatever. Mark two. Oh, that's right. Mark II's Roma from the uh, Fall of the Mutants never considered what would happen in a Mark II Sentinel world. No, she didn't. So they fight. They don't even really fight. Uh, the, the Sentinel kidnaps Rogue and pretty oh, much that's right. just leaves. Um, I guess the X-Men do attempt to stop it and do do a poor job. Uh, Alex says, well, I destroyed them all last time. Maybe I can destroy them again. And then he... He gets a face full of Colossus as Colossus gets tossed into him, knocking him unconscious. Psylocke is able to use some of her telepathy to attempt to take control of the Sentinel. This Sentinel is different from the others we've encountered. Yes. Wait, this is weird. Why am I getting a mind here? Yep. But the Sentinel is able to counteract that and, I don't know, reverse the telepathy back on uh, Psylocke. She falls and that's when... The Sentinel grabs Rogue and jumps through a linear, ultra linear leap. Yes, and uh, we—that's when we learn that for some reason uh, Psylocke is going into a coma. <laughs> this doesn't really. Next time we see her, she'll be out of the coma, so I'm not sure why Psylocke isn't responding. I'm afraid her condition may be considerably worse than it appears. Instead of regaining consciousness, she seems to be gradually losing it. She's slipping away, falling into some sort of coma. Uh, later, she will be awake, but they will say it has something to do with connecting. She took on she took on the Cynthia Chalmers coma, I guess. So previous to all that on page seven is where Wolverine has his, his sexual innuendo line. Oh. He says, he's here for Rogue, referring to the Sentinel. Wonder what she's got that I don't, except the obvious. That was uh, just that was kind of weird. Yeah, but then he goes on. But I'm sure I can more than make up for it with what I do have. I know he's referring to his claws, but <laughs> still, it it comes off as very awkward. It's just clunky man dialogue. It's, but um, it's and it's way out of ca- character for Wolverine. Wolverine would never say that. And Storm should like stop by. It's like, can you be more specific, Wolverine? Now I wonder when Brian Singer was working on the original X Men, did he draw his inspiration for that ongoing joke of Magneto's actually never there for Wolverine, but for somebody else from this one panel? Maybe because Wolverine's. Seems kind of jealous, like, why is she here for Rogue and not me? <laughs> I mean, I know she's got things that I don't, but I got some other stuff. It's just part of Wolverine's witty repartee. He's <laughs> he's He's been Spider-Man in these issues, and he continues to be Spider-Man. Uh-huh. You know, it's, 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 it's innuendo, but it's, you know, he's thinking on his feet. It's hard to improvise really well sometimes. <laughs> 
He's not used to being the Spider-Man of the group. He's, he woke up this morning. He's like, you know what? I'm going to try something different. <laughs> well, he's been doing it all three of these issues, and it's it's honestly just grating. But well, so it, this all happened, in my opinion, in the span of uh, let's just say two weeks. And this was uh, the couple of weeks where he was going to try doing stand-up at the Tuesday Improv <laughs> uh, over at Sydney. So he was just working on his uh, material. Yeah, he's working on his improvisation skills. Mm-hmm. He's trying to be, and you know, he's he's just talking a lot, and that that explains everything. We solved the Wolverine conundrum. <laughs> this is this is how I imagine uh, Wolverine's improv- improvisation going. He's at the stand up club, and he's like, "Okay, audience members, I need a food and a location and a sport." And somebody says, "Steak, uh, New York, and baseball." And he's like. Uh, no, that's no good. I'm going to need a different food, a different sport, and a different location because he only has one scenario in his repertoire. So he's just waiting for somebody to say, you know, France, soccer, and uh, carrot. And he's got a really good bit on that. That's that's how I imagine his improv going. Somebody needs to make a comic out of that. <laughs> it's just 22 pages of him dying on stage. Yeah. Until he finally, somebody and says finally the right he just thing. tells his joke. And he's just like, all right, you guys aren't getting it. Let me just <laughs> let me just set this up. So isn't that basically just the Joker movie that just came out? I don't. Uh, did I? I did see that. Yeah. With uh, what's his face? Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, yeah. He wasn't a good uh, comedian in that. He was not. Yeah. He's... But of course, it was the ridiculous sort of thing where. Where didn't everybody really mean to him? I don't know. There was something I remember. There was being something about it, like why, why is this get person getting televised? Why are they televising him bombing? Yeah, well, because it went viral. This this whole idea that this guy came up on stage, thought he was ridiculously funny, but he was so bad that Did that's they put it was, on TV. Yeah, that that was a little implausible, but. Anyways, whatever, something like that. So they they spring into action. Uh, Gateway sends them back to the ant hill. Honestly, all I remember of that movie is that spoilers: Joker and Batman might be related somehow. Oh no, I think they they. I, I, I think they changed it in the movie and decided that no, that's definitely not true because they said that she was crazy. There, his mother was crazy. Although I guess they didn't definitively said. I think right, they, they, they uh, just, like the person that said it was he was crazy was thomas wayne thomas wayne was like so yeah that, that just be crazy. like you'd just be like lying i don't know yeah well that movie's not really canon though is it no it's its own thing yeah so they they go off to the anthill and now abomination i guess was recaptured uh and rogue are going to be the new battery for the new sterilization projects so we're just basically doing the same thing over again they're doing the same thing over again the sentinel realized that Rogue's power is a perfect to replace Doc Samson. Uh, the weird thing is that we never see the abomination get captured. Where we nope. last saw the Sentinel take off, he left Dr. Chalmers and Abomination behind, uh, presumably conscious. Yeah. <laughs> um, but now Abomination is captured. So I don't know. I, I would have liked to have seen him conk out Abomination before he left. Would have only taken a panel. Right. At any rate, conveniently, there's going to be another flare. (laughs) I mean, I guess these flares happen all the time, so they're not really in any hurry. Right. Uh, It seemed in the last couple of issues that there was a very specific solar flare that they had to capture. And now it seems like just about any solar flare will do. The X-Men used Gateway to get back to the lab in Australia where they discovered 
Dr. Chalmers, but not Abomination. Uh, so I guess at some point the Sentinel did grab him. You know, it was kind of all over the place at this point. Yeah. Um, they have Dr. Chalmers and Psylocke on a slab. They're both unconscious. They have similar comas. It's kind of weird. Uh, how do they figure out where the Sentinel is? There is a definite connection between what is happening with each of these women. I just hope I can figure out what it is before both of them are dead. Um, solar flares. I think they, Gateway can just move them wherever they need to go. Are we split up into two teams? I think we're split up into... No, we're not. I don't know. We're, they go back and they're, they're in the lab. They got Chalmers and Psylocke on a table. Like you said, uh, Havoc's trying to figure out what to do before they die. Solar flares, and then they are invading the laboratory where the Sentinel and Abomination and Rogue are. Okay, so okay, Storm says, "Well, you continue your efforts here, Wolverine, and I will scout out the rest of the installation." Okay, so they're just somewhere else, right? Okay, so Wolverine and Psylocke, or, uh, Storm, uh, Storm, burst in on the uh, solar flare gambit in progress, and causes Storm causes it to rain <laughs> again. She does. Which, which allows, once again, the Sentinel, Chalmers part of the Sentinel wakes up. Well, hang on. First, Havoc says, oh my, something's wrong, very wrong. She's she's dead. Are you certain? Positive. There are no signs of life. And we're seeing those two statements as this Sentinel reactivates once again. Sort of inferring not Super obviously, but we'll find out later that uh, Cynthia Chalmers has fully been, consciousness has been fully transferred into the Sentinel because of rain. There's a weird sort of implication that isn't entirely clear, but uh, Storm, Wolverine says Storm is aided by the technology the Sentinel helped, uh, hoped to use against mankind. And unless I miss my guess, (laughs) which is quite a guess. She is using her powers to create a sort of elemental cosmic turbulence. This is where we get exposition dump from. I think this is Wolverine, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it's Wolverine. Even as the solar radiation approaches the Earth, Storm's little greenhouse effect will stop any of the harmful rays from penetrating into the Earth's atmosphere. The double irony here is that this is a shield that will protect the Earth rather than aid in its eventual destruction, and that it was the very means that the Sentinel brought uh, to sterilize the earth with of actually s- enabled storm to save the day. Right. And then she collapses to the ground and then she collapses to the ground. So this, this earth has been, and is now protected against UV rays. I think just for a minute, Aww. <laughs> <laughs> just for a minute so that those harmful solar flares that the Sentinel had shot, a beam up to, um, I guess, exacerbate uh, is protected. We're protected from it. So the human race isn't going to get sterilized after all. Correct. Havoc is like uh, talking about Cynthia Chalmers. Uh, she's dead. But Silex like, no, she isn't. She's changed. And she's out of her coma. So she's back. Isn't it obvious? <laughs> no. <laughs> she's in the Sentinel. I detected something different about the Sentinel in our battle earlier. I was able to make mental contact with it, which is with what I believe to be a sort of collective consciousness imparted on it. It's intellect circuits 
by its many creators. Perhaps I was wrong, or perhaps that was enabled what next occurred. It's basically Cynthia Chalmers, and she's like, ah, this isn't what I had planned for. I thought I would be able to be in this Sentinel, and it would still be me, but I'm I'm corrupted. I'm connected to some sort of weird collective. I hate this. I'm going to go fly into the sun. Yep. The end. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It is only appropriate that I should be the one to pay for the sins of the father. So, At yeah. some point, she's, she does say, I had never planned to uh, bother with the X-Men. I was just saying that to get Abomination to help me. Right. Which, again, all this whole story feels like a rewrite slash retcon of the two previous stories, which would have been written within the same year. So it's um, interesting because the, the story as a whole ends up at the same, like it, it ends where it began. So this whole story is unnecessary, but then we tack on a third part, which also ends where the second part began. Right. So it becomes even more doubly unnecessary. It's an interesting, you know, just like a lot of these, uh, you know, Marvel Comics Presents or Marvel Fanfare, like stories, most of the time, those stories don't really matter. They're just like a thing that also happened that doesn't change any continuity, doesn't really have any consequences. Um, and sometimes they're fun. And I feel like the first couple of parts of this story were fun. This one was fun. The third part was like, we're just doing the same thing and changing things for some reason. But so, now in the 90s. <laughs> well, the whole thing was well. That's, well, the whole thing was in the '90s, but it was—it just felt progressively more '90s as we went. The other thing I wonder, uh, and could have maybe done a little bit of research. I wonder if the first two parts were just pages that they're like, "Hey, we've got this. Let's put it in our summer special and in our fall special." I don't know. Then maybe that would explain why a third part was never written, or by written by uh, Roy Thomas. Who knows? I don't. We will, we will never know unless Roy Thomas tells us. Roy Thomas, if you're Michael out there, um, I don't know if he's alive. He's alive. He's probably alive. Yeah. I feel like I've seen him at a con. His spouse was Dan Thomas, uh, D-A-N-N. Okay. Uh, maybe short for Danielle, something like that. But uh, yeah, she. so the first two parts were written with a pair of them, which is neat. Were they a couple then? I or don't know. They, I suppose if they were sharing the last name, it's likely that they were married, but not necessarily. I'm gonna Did you read up, any, any of the other uh, backup stories in these Marvel superheroes ones? I, I'm just looking for when he left Marvel. Looks like he probably left a couple of times. Yeah, I think I think a lot of the creators left a couple of times. Oh, gosh. You know, there's something in here about him leaving in 1981. But he could have come back, too. Probably. Anyways, uh, I looked at X-Men, or sorry, Avengers number 333, and I saw the two panels of Wolverine, and I didn't read that. And I couldn't find Marvel Fanfare 35 or 53 or whatever issue it was. So, no, I didn't. No, I was, I was referring to the backup stories of Marvel superheroes summer, fall, and winter. Oh, I didn't read any of those, no. There is a I, I skimmed through some of them and I read one or two that I was interested in. But the origin of Squirrel Girl is particularly fun. Oh, that's in the uh, winter special. Iron Man and uh, Doctor Doom meet Squirrel, Squirrel Girl 
and she manages she's a mutant by the way but she doesn't want anybody to know so it's relevant okay um she uh she's able to best dr doom with the power of getting squirrels to help her it's it's fun and silly okay and and somewhat absurd yeah avengers 333 dr doom is crashing the avengers party and i don't think wolverine actually says anything nope uh but he's does he have his patch on i can't even remember he has his patch on but it's written by larry hama and so it's it's canon (laughs) (laughs) uh marvel fanfare 56 had a backup story that was kind of fun it doesn't it doesn't really take place in the marvel universe but it's it's about this kid whose mom is mad at him because he's not cleaning up his room. And she says, if you don't clean up your room in an hour, and his room's like a total disaster, then I am going to take away your Marvel superhero toys. And oh. he's like, oh, I got to clean up my, my room. And he gets really tired. And he's like, I can't do this. This is terrible. And he goes, cries. He goes to his bed. He goes to sleep. And then all the Marvel superheroes toys get up and they start fighting each other. And they create even bigger chaos. And then the mom is like, what's all that racket? I'm going to take away your toys. And they're like, uh-oh. Uh, luckily, they have Doctor Strange with them. And Doctor Strange magically makes the room better. And that's the whole story. Wow. It's, it's cute. And it's fun. And it's got Wolverine in it. Okay. And he's all like, you know, it's tough guy Wolverine. Poorly written tough guy Wolverine. Of course. I always appreciate. <laughs> of course. Uh, I'm assuming you're not reading Marvel superheroes. I didn't uh, read or Marvel this. Comics Presents, I mean. Yeah, I didn't read this particular issue. So this continues the Wolverine and Ghost Rider story. Um, we're finally getting some progress. Uh, they have tracked down where Death Watch is, but they have to fight a whole bunch of uh, ninjas to get to him. They split up and then get back together at the end of the story. We learn that this family of heroes... The sister has been kidnapped by Death Watch. The father is hanging out with Ghost Rider, and the brother is some sort of superhero who has the power of prediction. Wolverine wonders if he's a mutant. His name is Brass. I don't think I think this is his only appearance in a comic book ever. Um, but yeah, they they fight ninjas on the way to the Death Watch. There's a point where Wolverine's driving a van. I thought that was fun to see Wolverine behind the wheel. But We've seen him behind the wheel before, haven't we? Have we? I don't know. It's possible. There was that I mean, one. He, he definitely rides a motorbike. I, I, I picture like him as a motorcyclist. No, actually, you know what? I'm confusing that that one issue where he jumps through a windshield of a car. Okay. Yeah. Whatever that. Oh was. yeah, and he goes like, yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it? He's got a jeep too. He drives a jeep in the Australian Outback. Okay. Yeah. That that makes sense. He just he looks funny inside of a van. Or maybe it's just this drawing of him behind the wheel. He even drives a that same Jeep in the X-Men animated series. <laughs> Anyways. Of course. <laughs> so, yeah, this story is, I think this is part five of eight, and it's kind of building up to some sort of battle with Death Watch, or maybe not. Death Watch may not even appear in it. I'm not even sure. I can't remember. But we've, we've passed the halfway point. And, uh, yeah, I still remember this story as better than it is. But not, so far... It's 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 a great example of how Marvel Comics presents just pads it out. <laughs> yep, very little has actually happened. So yeah, it's it's uh, we're uh, are we ever going to read another issue of the Uncanny X Men? Not next episode. Next episode, <laughs> we're wrapping up our B sides. I am just uh, I'm just getting all of our stuff together, um, so that we can 
hit the final Chris Claremont arc that leads into X-Men 1. So just getting every all the odds and ends out of the way. Right. So I think next issue is the last set of B-sides uh, that will include these kind of extraneous other crap that's going on. <laughs> and there's a lot of crap out there. I mean, you know, some of them are hidden gems, but yeah, yeah. there's there's definitely... Definitely the X-Men and Wolverine especially were very much overused at this point in time. Yeah. I don't know about hidden gems, Adam. Maybe slightly entertaining, but... We come across the occasional hidden gem. Sure. Um, you know, that that awesome story that was based on the video game, Life Quest or whatever it was. Life Death? I don't know what it was called. <laughs> what video game? There was that video game... That four-part video game series that they adapted into a comic book that had Magneto and, was it Lee Forrester? Hanging out on Magneto's Island. Oh. It was a weird one. Yeah, I vaguely remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that qualifies as a, yeah, it probably it doesn't was qualify as a gem. I was making a, a joke. It went over everybody's head, though. Oh, okay. But, oh, well. <laughs> Well, we don't have any uh, communique to talk about this time around, but if you'd like to jump in on uh, the conversation, let us know what you think about B-sides, C-sides, and, and D-sides, apparently. Z-sides, this one. Z-sides. You can do so by visiting us at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash Podcast. Twitter at Danger Room Go, Danger Room at xmenpodcast.com is our email address. And you can get all of uh, this material on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. And you can check out patreon.com where we're covering most of the sort of current things in the X universe, at least within the last, I don't know, six to nine months. Uh, our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. And I don't have anything else, Adam, do you? I sure don't. I thought this one was going to be shorter, but I'm, I'm glad we got all of that out of our system. <laughs> well, until next time, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Danger Room is closed. Mm-hmm.